Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. The book of 1 Thessalonians and chapter number 2. The book of 1 Thessalonians and chapter number 2. We're just doing some final cleanup at the end of the year here. As we've had a theme this year that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That as we find our joy in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we continue to have strength. And as we hit our final message of this year on the subject of rejoicing and the joy of the Lord, we now come to not only the end of the year and the end of this message or the end of the little mini-series, the end of the theme, but we also come to a prophecy speaking about the end of time and what's going to happen concerning us. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to put our attention on two verses that we find in the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter number 2. The book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And notice me at the end of the chapter, verses 19 and 20. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verses 19 and 20. Notice what the Word of God says. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter number 2? The book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, and notice in verse number 19, the crown of rejoicing. Crown of rejoicing. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to take special attention tonight to explain about this crown of rejoicing. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And again, we thank you for everyone that's here and everyone that's listening. And we're asking that you would do something special, especially as we talk about the judgment seat of Christ and facing you and giving account for the things in our life, that we would be sober, that we'd be serious, that we'd understand this is an important thing. But again, we could rejoice in what we can have because of our labor here for the Lord. I'm asking that you would give us an understanding, that you would also give us a craving and a desire to be pleasing to you and to honor you for the purpose of receiving this crown, that we could give it back to you. Thank you, Lord, for whom you are. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 2, verses 19 and 20, we see here there is something that is mentioned called a crown of rejoicing. And as we start off, I want to present to you the reward. The reward. Now, the Bible talks about that we're going to stand before God and give an account. We'll go into more detail here in just a bit. But if those, of those rewards that we can earn by serving the Lord, there are five specific crowns that we can win, that we can earn for serving the Lord, that we could receive as a present, as a gift 
for our service for the Lord. This happens to be one of the five. This is called the crown of rejoicing. And as we study this, we find something interesting about the crown of rejoicing is that this is a crown for those who disciple others. Now what is discipleship? Discipleship as we define it is developing the habit of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we disciple others we provide a necessary ingredient called accountability. That everything we do in the Christian life is habits. You get the habit of going to church, habit of going uh, soul winning, the habit of giving, the habit of reading your Bible, a habit of praying. Well, as disciplers, we help people take the next step of obedience in the Lord Jesus Christ to follow after him. Sometimes the very first step is salvation. And so we find out where people are at and bring them to the next level. Maybe we find someone and we have the privilege of working with someone who does not know for sure that Jesus Christ as their personal savior. What a great privilege it is for us to be able to open up the word of God and to show them that they could have forgiveness of sins full free and forever. But let me tell you, the Christian life does not end at salvation. In fact, the very opposite, that the Christian life begins at salvation. And with salvation, it is a brand new beginning, a brand new opportunity to serve the Lord. However, unfortunately, most Christians who come and make a profession of faith do not develop the habit of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus Christ set aside a very special reward, a very special honor that we could win for being a person to take people from where they are and to take them to the next level. This very special reward that we could earn of being a discipler. To rejoice in those who follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Now a crown in the ancient world was a symbol in the Greek world of victory. It was often used as to uh, given to a uh, victor of a game like the Olympic games that they had. So someone would work very hard and they would work out all year and they would prepare to run the race for the purpose of receiving a crown. And with the crown it would be the accolades and the honor. Did they get anything else? Nope, just the crown. But that was the honor they were looking for. That they worked hard to earn this reward. They worked in their life. It wasn't something that you would get just for saying, well, I participated. It was something that you worked at to win. That you dedicated and devoted your life. That you put yourself at the place where you could earn this crown. And so when it talks about the crown here, it is talking about something that you would set your life apart to earn, to work, to strive for the purpose of pleasing the master. There's something about being recognized and having the master of ceremonies or the master of the universe to be able to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here is a crown given to you for your labor. Here is a crown for you for what you have done. Now, <laughs> Paul was anticipating for his converts to one day receiving this crown. Notice again. For what is our hope or our joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye 
in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. For ye are our glory and joy. So here's the scene here. That Paul was not so much looking at himself. But what he was looking at is the people that he invested in. Whether he invested in them to win them to the Lord. Or he invested in them to help them develop the habit of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. But as a happy father... He's looking forward to the day when those people he invested in, they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And they receive rewards in their body because they were obedient to Jesus Christ. Because they honored God. Because they served God. And he's rejoicing that they get to receive this crown. That they get to serve God. That's what he was looking for. Not so much for himself. But he's rejoicing that they get the opportunity because he got to invest in them. You know, the reason why he's pastoring over there is because someone put a loving arm around them and said, let's go forward. Let's take a step. Let's move forward together. That someone took the time to invest in another person, to pour their life. You know, we spoke about that discipleship is Helping someone develop the habit of obedience to Christ. But you know it goes a lot more into that basic definition. It is the pouring of yourself into another person. To pour your life. To see it succeed. That's what Paul was looking for. He was looking for and seeing how this investment matured. To see the people that he cared about. That he took the time to walk beside and took a step. And took a step. And took a step. Until finally they were walking on their own. And they were serving God on their own. And one day he was going to watch them stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And receive rewards for themselves. And he had the privilege of knowing, I helped them. I invested. God used me as someone in their life that they serve God, that they would have not have done it on their own. But God used me as an instrument to go beside them where they could serve God. He said, this is what I'm looking for. I'm rejoicing with the idea that you're going to stand before God and you're going to receive a reward for your own service. For your own labors. Now before we go any further. I think it would be wise for us to go in the Bible. And actually describe the judgment seat of Christ. And our standing before God. Hold your finger here. We're coming back. But turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll start there. The book of 2 Corinthians. And let's understand more about this judgment seat of Christ. The book of 2 Corinthians in chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And we understand that in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. They start talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Now the judgment seat of Christ is only for those folks who have personally accepted Jesus as their Savior. For someone who's not accepted Jesus as their Savior, they will stand before God in what is called the white throne judgment. That is found in the book of Revelation chapter 20. But those folks who did not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're going to stand before God and they're going to be judged for their sins and they're going to be sentenced to the lake of fire forever and ever. 
For those folks who have realized that because of their sin that they've offended a holy righteous God and that Jesus died for them and they came to the place where they personally accepted Jesus as our Savior, we will never face God at the white throne judgment to be judged for our sins. But in fact, we have a different judgment. And our judgment is not going to be judged for our sins. We're going to be judged for our works, our labor and service for God and our motive for doing so. Notice with me, if you don't mind, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and notice with me in verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. May I pause here? Notice again what verse 9 says. For we labor that whether present, meaning in front of God, or absence, meaning that I'm not dead yet facing him while I'm still on this earth. Wherefore we labor, we work, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. May I remind us that we were created to serve God. And if we are not serving God, we are not being pleasing to him because we are not doing what we've been created to do. This is a serious deal. That the judgment seat of Christ, some people approach it as if, well, I miss out, no, no big deal. Let me tell you, it is a very very big deal to stand before God and to find out that you did nothing for him is a huge deal. How big? Notice with me in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That word all means all. It means not just pastors, not just full-time Christian workers, but every person who professes Jesus Christ as their Savior. They come to the place where they accepted Jesus to forgive them the sins. Every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, both good, whether it be good or bad. What does that mean? Every action you take in your life has a consequence. Sometimes it's minor. Sometimes it has rippling effects that you don't even realize. And you're going to stand before God and give an account for everything you've done in your body. The Bible even indicates the things that you think of. The Bible says that every idle word that we say is going to be held to an account. Because everything we do has a consequence, both good and bad. That the things that we do draws people to the Lord Jesus Christ or it repels them away. Say something like having a thought. So you're thinking about a thought you shouldn't be having and you mull it over and you mull it over. And then what happens is that someone gets into your path that you are supposed to witness, someone that you're supposed to encourage. But instead, you're preoccupied with that thought and you're no way in spiritual shape to help that person out. Well, that person goes away without getting help, without getting direction. And you are going to have a consequence in that because... You were the one that was set to be a help to that person. You understand everything that is done in our body is a big deal. And everything that is done in our body has a consequence. Whether it's good 
or whether it's bad. And we're going to be evaluated. Notice what it says in verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. You notice it's attaching the terror of the Lord to this judgment seat. Why? Because I have to stand and give an account to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, to the God who made me, why I served him or why I did not serve him. Knowing that I'm going to have to give an account. By the way, how can you excuse yourself to the God who died for you why you couldn't read your Bible? How can you excuse yourself to the God who died on the cross in a horrible way why you couldn't show up to church? How can you justify and excuse yourself? By the way, those are rhetorical questions. You cannot. You're going to stand before God and be guilty. And by the way, you don't have to. You can make a choice to say, I'm going to serve God. Because he loved me so much. He died for me. I'm going to have to give an account. Someone said life is like a cafeteria line. You could take whatever you want, but there's a cash register at the end. Well, that's true. You are free to do whatever you want. Knowing that one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to have to give an account for everything done in your body. Both good and bad. Understanding there's consequences for everything that you do. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. This is a big deal. Knowing that I'm going to stand before God and give an account, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and I'm going to encourage others to take another step for the Lord. I'm going to bring them. Maybe they need to know salvation. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, knowing I'm going to give an account, I'm on purpose going to go try to tell people about Jesus Christ. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, I'm on purpose going to use my life and influence and helping someone get closer to the Lord. This is a big deal. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God. That word manifest means to be exposed. To, um, to make clear. What this is, is that we are going to be made clear our entire lives before God. Every little bit. There's nothing that is going to be hidden in your life. In fact, the Bible says this. That the things that are done in secret are going to be pronounced on the housetops. That's a good poetical way of saying the same thing. Nothing is going to be hid. Everything is going to be made manifest. Everything is going to be made open. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Knowing that you're going to stand before God, you should have this in your mind. Again, how can you justify your actions to the God who died for you when you said, you know what, I just didn't feel like serving you. I don't care. How in the world can you justify that? And one day you will stand before God and give an account for that Actions, bad attitudes, spirit, you're going to stand before God. No wonder it says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Notice if you don't mind another passage that speaks about this judgment seat of Christ. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. We were in 2 Corinthians. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And we could see more about this judgment seat of Christ. The standing before God, giving an account... 
In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, we could see that God once again is giving us more information on the judgment seat of Christ. Notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice with me starting at verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That means that here it's given us an illustration of a building. And that before you lay anything else down, you put the foundation. Jesus Christ is the foundation we build upon. That he is the solid rock. That first of all, he had to take care of our sins. And everything we build is built off of there. Verse number 12. Now if any man build this fa- upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Notice that there's differences here. You have gold silver, precious stones. Then you have wood, hay, and stubble. Verse number 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. There's that word manifest again. It means to be made clear, to made open, to expose. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and every and the fire shall try every man's work. Notice this, of what sort it is. So here, we're not being judged for our sins. We're being judged for our work and what sort it is. So if you can imagine you want to build a house. And the building materials you've been tasked to build with is wood, hay, stubble. That you've been also given gold, silver, or precious stones. And you've been told that you need to build a beautiful house. But... It's going to be put to the test. It's going to be put on fire and see if it still stands. That's your job. So knowing that I'm going to have my house burnt, the first thing I'm going to do is put wood, hay, and stubble. I'm going to build a foundation, a whole house out of that, right? No, because the wood, hay, and stubble, they're going to be burnt away. There's going to be nothing left of them. The only thing that's going to last is the gold, the precious stones, the silver. You want to build it out of materials that will not burn. So you're being tried of what sort it is or what kind of work it is. This carries the idea of the motives. Do you know that you could go to church with the wrong motive? We know people who are raised on drugs. They were drugged to church by their parents Sunday morning and drugged to the church on Sunday night and drugged to the church on Wednesday night. And they didn't want to go, but they had to go. We know that there's some people who, fine, I'll read my Bible because pastor wants me to. Well, are you, that's going to be the right sort? Not at all. That you got to have the right motive. By the way, what is the right motive? To be pleasing to him. It's all about him. He has to be the motive. He has to be the reason why. That we have to fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And be pleasing to him. And that every man's work is going to be tried by fire. To show of what sort it is. Verse number 14. If any man's work abide which he hath built therein. He shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, 
yet also by fire. Now verse 15 is important. Here we're talking about a saved person. How were they saved? Not by their works, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation. That's not going to be burnt away. Now once we are saved, once we're a Christian, we now start to build on that foundation. Am I living my life selfishly? Am I living it for myself? Am I just trying to make myself happy? Try to please myself? Well, that may be good and all, but when you stand before God, it's going to be burnt away. And you're going to realize the loss of your rewards. Here's the rewards God wanted you to have, but you don't get any of those because you didn't do it for Christ and you didn't serve Christ. You did nothing and you're going to stand before God and face him in front of everyone. And your life is going to be tried just like that. However, verse 14, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. And we receive this reward. One of those rewards is the crown of rejoicing, which the Apostle Paul had made mention in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. By the way, what is this crown of rejoicing? This is a crown we could win by working with others, winning them to the Lord, and discipling them. That we get to take people from where they are and move to the next level. That what happens is that we're going to stand before God, and our work is going to be made manifest, and God's going to say, see, look, you gave your life to help that person follow me. And because they followed me, because you gave out your life, you receive a reward. Good job. That's what I want. Everyone, look. Now, by the way, what do you do with those crowns? Well, turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 is an account that happens right after the rapture and shows us what's going to heaven right before the tribulation. And an interesting statement is almost glossed over and missed. But notice with me in Revelation 4 and verse 10. Revelation 4 and verse 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. Notice this. And cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou has created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were creative now remember we're going to be judged for our works of what sort they are what is the right sort what is the right motive we're doing it for Christ so it makes sense that when we receive these rewards because we were doing it for him we're going to give it back to him. By the way, what is this show? What this is, and by the way, some young man pointed this out. He said, this is a quantifiable way. That's a fancy word of saying that we could numerically count. This is a quantifiable way to show our love for God. Basically, we're going to stand before God and said, Lord, this is how much I loved you on earth. And here is the proof of it. And we're going to cast it at his feet saying, this is how much I loved you. Now, remember, words are cheap. You can say, I love you all you want, but it is actions that prove the point. You could say, sing the song, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. And you could sing the song. 
But if you do nothing with it, then those words are empty. They're going to be burnt away. There's going to be nothing left. But to be able to stand before God and say, this was the proof of my love towards you. And to cast it at his feet and take our turn. This is a big deal. May I say, I don't want to be behind the Apostle Paul with all of his crowns. In fact, the meager crowns that I have, I look down and say, well, this is boiled down in my hands. All that I loved God. I loved God, but this is all I loved God. And to be able to give to him. You understand that this is a big deal. Why is this a big deal? Verse number 11. For thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, including me. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, God's not being selfish. Our whole purpose of existence was to be pleasing to God. What we're doing is we're proving, did I perform why I existed in the first place? I was created to please God. Can I prove that I did what I was created to do? Yes, by casting my crowns at his feet. Now, all of that is talking about the reward. As we're going back to 1 Thessalonians in chapter number 2, let's go back as we're talking about the reward. What is the crown of rejoicing? It is a reward we earn by winning people to the Lord and discipling them. Now, this is not an exclusive reward. This is a reward that any Christian can get. By the way, this is uh, a reward that every Christian should get. This is a reward that every Christian is expected to get. Do you know that you are expected to win people to the Lord and to disciple them? This is why discipleship is so important that we are teaching people not only how to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're teaching them how to disciple someone else as well. So they can go teach someone else. Now we know that we're at the stage of a church. Where we have several people who have completed discipleship. May I say what your next step is? Is for you to go teach someone else. For you to have your shot at this reward. By pouring your life into someone. Taking someone from where they are. And bringing them to the next level. This is something that I want for you. This is what the Apostle Paul had wanted for his disciples. That one day they're going to stand before God and they're going to receive the rewards. And he's going to go, that's what I wanted. This is the greatest day ever. This is what I wanted. I have a reason to rejoice. Because they get to stand before the God that we loved. And prove to God that they loved him. That they loved him with their life. To serve him. We start off with the reward. Then we go to something else that we notice here. The return. The return. Now we talked about the judgment seat of Christ. Well we need to also place this in time. When does this happen? Well we talk about the return here. Notice with me in verse number 19. For what is our hope? Or joy or crown of rejoicing. So what are we hoping for? What is our joy? What do we rejoice in? Are not even ye... In the presence 
of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. That word presence is a very interesting word. It literally means presence. It doesn't mean some spiritual idea. It means that one day you're going to stand before God face to face. By the way, this is the judgment seat of Christ. But when does this happen? Well, it talks about that are ye not, are, sorry, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. The second coming of Jesus Christ is a very big deal. And there's many prophecies talking about the judgment seat of Jesus Christ or talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now with this, we understand that the judgment seat of earth the second coming of Jesus Christ comes in two phases. So it comes in two parts. It's one event, two phases. The first phase is going to be the rapture. Where Jesus Christ is going to come in the air. Notice with me if you don't mind 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Let me just show it to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number um, 14. Uh, verse number 13. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The first phase of the second coming of Jesus Christ begins with what we call the rapture, the calling away, that at any moment Jesus Christ could come back. And then what happens is at that moment those who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior are going to arise and meet Him in the air. The Bible describes how fast this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as a twinkling of an eye. Scientists have calculated a twinkling of an eye to be one one thousandth of a second. Just that quick. You don't have time to prepare. Jesus Christ comes and we meet him together in the air. This is called the rapture and it is an important event. It is the first phase of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second phase of the coming of Jesus Christ is where Jesus Christ is coming back literally physically bodily, literally back on this earth. This is going to happen at the end of the seven year period called the tribulation and Jesus Christ is going to come back on this earth and he's going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. He is coming back. That is the second phase of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now in between those two phases when Jesus Christ raptures us up that is when the Christians are going to stand before God and we're going to receive our rewards. We're going to give an account in our body. As soon as the rapture happens that is the next event for us is the judgment seat of Christ. So this is an event that you need to prepare for because it can happen at any time and it's going to happen when Jesus Christ
Christ comes back. And we are literally going to be in the presence. Meaning we're standing before literal Jesus Christ. We're going to stand before him in his presence. So we start off by talking about the reward. Then we talk about the return. That Jesus Christ is coming back. This is when it's going to happen. And we're going to stand at his presence in front of him. And receive our rewards of what we've done in our bodies. Which brings us to the third thing here. The rejoicing. The rejoicing. You know what people rejoice in tells a lot about their character. We know that there are some people who rejoice when bad things happen. They just seem that they enjoy watching bad things happen and laughing at people. Or rejoicing when their enemies get hurt. That tells a lot about their character. Here the Apostle Paul, what did he rejoice in? He rejoiced in that his people that he won to the Lord. The people that he invested in and discipled in. That they're going to stand before God and they're going to receive a reward. That was his rejoicing. Notice with me in verse 19. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope? What am I hoping for? What am I looking forward to? What is our joy? What is I joying for? What am I looking forward to? Or our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. The Apostle Paul says, what I'm looking forward to is you succeeding in the Christian life. You know, that's the amazing thing about the Christian life is that I'm not in a race against you. And you're not in a race against someone else. We're running our own race. That means we all can win. And I'm not cheering for me to win and you to lose. I'm cheering for us all to win. That all of us do our part. All of us have our a part to do. All of us can serve God. All of us can be pleasing to Him. All of us can earn this crown. All of us will stand before God. It's not an idea, did I love God more than you? It's, did I love God the best that I could? We're standing before God. And the Apostle Paul says, what my rejoicing is, is that I watched you when you bowed your head and accepted Christ as your Savior. And then I took you step by step and I helped you as you learned to read the Bible for yourself. Then I helped you as you started to pray by yourself. And then I helped you as you started being faithful to church every time the doors were open. Then I helped you as you started to give. And I helped you and I invested in you as you started to tell others about Christ. And then I cheered for you and I prayed for you as you started to serve God and you started to help other people that was my rejoicing that was my crown in fact the Bible says this in the book of 2nd John I have no greater joy than to watch my children walking in truth the Apostle Paul says that's it I have no greater joy than to watch you succeed in the Christian life well, if that's his greatest joy, what is some of his heart, deepest heartbreaks? My deepest heartbreak is when I have someone I invest in, I love in, I pray in, and they don't serve God. And they don't advance forward. And they don't want to go forward. And they just sit there and knowing that they could have so much more. That's my biggest heartbreak. My biggest grief is because I know that they could I know that they could serve God. They could follow him. There's nothing in their way. 
We learn a lot about this rejoicing that he has. The Apostle Paul's heart is that he wanted people to succeed in following after the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, dear friend, what is your heart? First of all, is your heart towards the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it him that you want to please? Or are you living your life for yourself? Are you just trying to make your life better? Are you just trying to make yourself happy? Are you just worried about you taking care of another day? What is your motive of your life? It should be towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the second thing, what is your rejoicing? Do you rejoice in others? Do you rejoice in, in others for you to help them move forward? Do you rejoice in others to realize that you have a responsibility to te- be taught how to teach someone and then teach someone else? Someone made mention once that a true successful teacher is not when a student can pass a test. A true success of a teacher is when that student goes and teaches someone else. Are you in the process of teaching someone else? Or are you in the process of at least learning how to teach someone else? This is the responsibility of every Christian. Every Christian has a role to play. And every Christian can have a crown of rejoicing to their account. And it's something that God wants you to have. But it is not something you stumble upon. It's not something you accidentally do. Just like the Olympic athletes themselves, they dedicate their lives. They put their lives for a purpose of working towards that one crown that they could win. That goal of being pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something you do by accident. It's not something you stumble upon. You have to on purpose decide, I'm going to serve God. On purpose, I'm going to decide that I'm going to invest in others. I'm going to decide to win people to the Lord. I'm going to decide to be used of God to help others love my Jesus like I do. This is something that we should rejoice in. Something that our heart should be watching others serve God themselves. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.